Good morning. Thank you, Briante. I, I know sometimes public speaking or public reading is tougher than it looks. Good, good morning. My name's Marcus, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption. Um, I'm bringing you the word today uh, from the book of Colossians. But I would just like to say, if you would join me to celebrate, in my, home, in my home country, they inaugurated a new president, our fourth consecutive peaceful election after 30 years of war. It just means a lot to me. Yeah, um, the Word of God is what I am charged uh, to bring you this morning, um, I want to remind you and myself, as I always do, in the book of James. Um, Jesus' brother, James, wrote a book, and one of the things he said in that book, or he wrote in that book, is that not many of us should strive to be teachers, because teachers of the Word of God will be judged more harshly. Uh, so for what I'm going to do in the next 25 minutes, 30 minutes, let's put it on the long end, um, I will be judged one day. I will stand before God. Every word that I speak here this morning will be brought up. That is a weight and an honor that I carry and, and a lot of pastors carry um, around the world. So would you pray with me as we go into this? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace that surpasses what we can understand. We thank you for your word that corrects admonishes, encourages, uh, rebukes, strengthens, and encourages, O oh Lord. Heavenly Father, may your word do what it does in the lives and the hearts of the people sitting in this room and anyone watching later on on, on, on on the church website. Lord, would you do a wonderful thing through me? No one came to hear from me this morning. They came to hear from the word of God. So we thank you, Lord for listening ears, understanding hearts, and the humility to obey. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you are here this morning and you would like a Bible, you forgot your Bible, would you just slip up your hand and the ushers will hand you one. I see one person over here in the middle aisle there. Thank you. Uh, this morning we're in, there's one right there, Mackenzie, a couple. Um, this morning we're in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, in week 3 of a series of sermons we are calling Maturity in Christ, how to grow in maturity, in Christian maturity. Um, the first week we talked about focusing on things in heaven and not on earth. Last week we talked about reading the Bible together in community, and this week we'd like to, I'd like to speak to you um, on having the Word of God dwell in you richly. How do we slow down for loving union with God? How, do we, how can we spend time with God? What comes to your mind, brothers and sisters, when I say the word discipline? Discipline. For me, I think of hard work. I think of the work of athletes. I think particularly about runners who are disciplined 
I think of members of our military, I think of a long-term plan as we pursue a prize, perhaps. I think of a goal in the distance. I think of hard-earned, sustained obedience in one direction. I think of the grind, if you will, and a routine. I think of doing the same thing every day, day in, as Americans say, day in and day out. I think of a struggle. Most of us don't associate the word discipline with love. We don't associate the word discipline with fun. We don't associate the word discipline with relationships. When some of us hear the word discipline, we think of other people. That person's really disciplined. That guy's out running every week. He's at the gym, or he eats well, or she eats well. We think of discipline in that way. I can never do that. Other people who have way more willpower sometimes than we do. But when the word discipline gets attached to spiritual, if I said spiritual discipline or spiritual disciplines, you might conjure up another reaction. How does discipline connect to God's Word as in grace? Because discipline sounds like work. It sounds like a merit-based system. You do much and you gain much. What you put in is what you're going to get out. It seems antithetical to the message of Jesus Christ on the cross. If you've, spent, if you've been a Christian for a while, when you hear discipline and spiritual, you kind of put it together. But if you are newer and someone has preached the gospel of grace and you don't have to do anything, when someone stands up and says, discipline, you think, wait a second. I was sold a bill of, I don't know what the word is. The message of salvation is clear that something has already been done for you. Paul, in these two verses that I'm going to unpack this morning, unpack is a word that I don't like using, but here we go, unpack. It's a pastor word, isn't it? Throughout Paul and throughout chapter 3 of the book of Colossians has written to believers how they ought to live as Christians, particularly new believers. These new believers in the city of Colossae, right, the book is written to the Colossians, right, they're living in a city much like ours. It's a bustling city, it's pluralistic, there, people believe in different things, people are leading lives apart from God, apart from Jesus, people are kind of halfway in and halfway out, right, it's a bustling trade center, it's a transient, ever-changing city, right, if you think of our city we don't normally think of this, but we do have two major highways going through here. I know sometimes the first thing I was told when I came to Tucson, I was like, we don't have a highway system. Well, we got two. I'm just saying. <laughs> Not adequate, I know. But we do have the 10 right, that runs across the country, and we have 19. right? Our city has a lot of people moving in and out. If you think of college students coming and four or five years going, or same for grad school, medical students. So there are people coming in and out of our city who believe different things than we do. In the context in which Paul is writing, we must keep in mind that the church that he's writing to have become Christians, but they have very little gospel writing. They may not, they may not even have a, they don't have a complete Bible. 
They may have heard the story of Jesus, and they have been attracted to Jesus because of what he had done, the miracles, his resurrection, and the messages that people tell them. This is within 40 years of Jesus' resurrection. They've heard the stories. Some had some teaching, but discipleship and doctrine was not really widespread. So when this letter arrives to them, they're reading it as if, man, this is, this is something new. This is how I ought to live in my new identity with Jesus. How do we live with each other? How, do we, how does this new religion, how does this new Christ, this new, this, new, this new religious life, how does it grow in the depths of my heart, both intellectually and how does it work through my hands? How does it shape the relationships around me? And how can I grow in my life in Jesus? This morning, I would like to answer two questions. One, how do we allow the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly? And two, why should we live counterculturally for one another? Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in, the hearts, in our hearts to God, in your hearts to God. The first thing I want to put out there this morning is that no spiritual growth is possible without the Word of Christ. We do not grow as Christians without spending time listening to, reading, or being taught the Word of God. A Christian who does not spend time in God's Word is a Christian who is not growing in love of Jesus. The gospel is good news. We ought to, Paul is saying to these new Christians, saturate ourselves in the words of Christ. We must spend time reading and studying and seeking to understand and meditating on the words of Jesus. Because the task of teaching does not just fall on me or Dave, it falls on all of us within community. Paul is urging us to be at home in the gospel story. When he says the word of Jesus, he's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel message. One commentator says, the gospel has, has to be on our lips. It has to dwell, the Greek word dwell, it has to remain in us richly. The teaching is to be with all wisdom. Wisdom is one of the characteristics of Jesus, right? Who is wisdom himself, the Bible says. So what? is this gospel that is to be on our lips? What is the gospel message that needs to be, we need to be saturated in? What is the gospel? What is the word of Christ? Here it is, the gospel. What is to be on our lips? We humans are desperate blind, rebellious, wicked, selfish, and sinful. And the logical and natural outcome of a life lived in sin is the is unavoidable eternal death. But 
God, our creator, is holy, gracious, and loving, and he sent his son, Jesus, to bridge the gap between our sin and his holiness. He did it by giving his life on our behalf, taking on our punishment in order for us to enter into, enter into the eternal presence of God the Father. That is the gospel. We are sinners, and the only way we can get saved is through Jesus Christ. Amen. I heard one amen, and that came from a pastor. <laughs> if this, brothers and sisters, is your first time Hearing this, don't leave here today without getting, a detailed, without getting a detailed and relational explanation of what the gospel is. If you have heard this and you're a believer in the gospel, but you say to yourself, so where, Marcus, does the discipline come in? Where does discipline come in? If, if Christ did it all, why do I need to be disciplined? Where does discipline come in, Marcus? We as believers... No matter how long we've been a Christian, we always need to be reminded, sometimes daily, weekly, consistently, constantly, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That message that I am a sinner saved by grace, you need to hear on a regular basis. Jesus conquered death, our greatest foe, our greatest fear, in order that we could live forever in him and through him. The Bible says our hearts are prone to wander. The Bible says we are like sheep who have gone astray. Have you ever sat with someone and they say to you, I used to go to church. I used to read the Bible. I used to be in groups. How did I get here? Because you stopped. You stopped letting the Word of God dwell in, you, dwell in you richly. You stopped being with believers. You stopped communing. You start being in community. And you can drift so easily, no matter how much, how long you've been a Christian. That story tells itself over and over and over again. People, you know people who said, who've said that to you. I used to go to church. But then you look at their lives, and nothing in their lives reflect the fact that maybe at some point they were in a Christian community and they were growing because the Word is not dwelling in them richly. Paul says in verse 16, we should remind one another. He names three things of how we should remind each other. He mentioned three types. He says, we should remind each other in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs. One of, the way the, one of the way the gospel actually sticks in our minds, this is very practical, is through songs. Have you ever gotten a song stuck in your head? It happens every once in a while. Anybody got nursery rhymes that they remember from kindergarten? Right? Song, what we did previously helps us to, remi to remind ourselves about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ. Lord says in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, now I will say to you, if it comes as a step up, like, man, I got to sing to people <laughs> so they get the gospel, no. 
I got to tell you, I'm going to be first in line to tell you, I can't sing. I know that. I was kicked out of two choirs. When I was seven years old, my mother deeply wanted us to be a part of the church choir. So she signed us up for, for, I'm confessing right now. Let me just confess. My mother is dead and gone, but I got to say this, right? My mother signed us up to be in the choir, me and my brother. And every Saturday for six weeks, she dropped us off at a church, at our church. And after week two, the, 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 the choir director said, you guys can't sing, you can't be here. <laughs> but because we couldn't tell my mother, we kept on going. And the five dollars she would give us, we went and watched movies and bought hot dogs. <laughs> Well, the Sunday came that the children's choir was supposed to be up there. We were sitting in our seats, and as they called the children's choir up, <laughs> my mother looked at my brother and I, and I looked at my brother, because <laughs> he's older than me. Mother said, oh, man. Let's just say that Sunday afternoon was not my favorite Sunday afternoon at my house. Neglect not singing to one another. The Psalms, there are 150 of them in the Bible, are meant to be sang. Hymns that are composed by early church members and fathers were meant as an encouragement. Spiritual songs like we sing, right? Commentators say when they reference spiritual songs, they reference songs that we just sang this morning in our own language, in our own context, a song that bubbles up in people's hearts and they write for us to sing to each other to lift each other up. It can be assumed that some of the choruses that they sang were were organically were written in in that time, in local languages perhaps. That's one way the Word of God can dwell in us richly is through songs. I want to say another way that the Word of God can dwell in us richly, and this is unpopular, but I'll leave that to you. One way, another way, is by memorization. I knew it wouldn't be popular, but I'm going to say it. No one said amen. That's okay, right? Our memorization muscle has atrophied. Maybe I'm talking to myself this morning. Over the past 30 years, our lives have gotten easier in that sense. We don't need to memorize so many things. I used to know the phone numbers of people by heart. Who does that anymore? I used to know the addresses. Who does that anymore? We no longer store information in our minds like we used to. I'm not saying this is bad. What I am saying that it has contributed to the atrophy of the muscle of memorizing Scripture. In order for us, the word to dwell in us richly, we have to make it a priority to let it sink in. We don't commit much to memory, and we should. Because the word of God reminds us of who we are in Christ. There's room in our minds for this, but it takes that word again. It takes discipline. 
I know discipline is not a way that we, we characterize a loving relationship, but if you want to grow in Christ, you need to develop the discipline of memorizing the Scriptures. Let me apply it this way. Have you ever been early in a relationship, a dating relationship, and that person wrote you a text? How do you read that text? You read it over and over and over to make sure, oh, did the comma in the right place? I mean, this is me, right? You read it over. Did I miss something in this message? Back in the day, back in the day, we would write notes and letters, and you would read those letters over and over. Not quite back in the day. 2012, I remember Annie and I were dating, and I went to, not back in the day, sweetheart, and I went to... <laughs> And I went to summer camp for the summer, and we exchanged letters. And I read her letters over and over and over to make sure I didn't miss anything. And not just love letters. When you get a promotion, when that email comes through, how many times you read that email? When someone sends you an email and says, you got the job, how many times, are they sure? Can I put it in 12 font? Let me put it in 14. Let me read this. When you're accepted to your university, the college of your choice, I remember getting that one paragraph, and I read it over and over. They want me to go to their school? It's good news. Here's what I'm trying to get to. When you read something that is good news, you internalize it. You read it over and over. It sits in you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is described as good news. It changes your life here on earth, and it changes your eternal destiny. It brings so much hope in an otherwise cynical and meaningless, self-centered survival life. It puts you on a different track. This is why we need to remind each other of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is good news. It's life that is worth living in this way. It is life that is worth living differently. In our fast-paced, sometimes cynical world, it's difficult to find people who are living in line with the gospel. We live differently. When, you, when, you, when, you, when the gospel is saturated in your life, you live differently. You live slower, may I say. You live more intentional lives when the gospel is dwelling in you richly. Our lives are unhurried. You're able to take time for, quote, loving union with the Lord where nothing else matters. Like, he is writing this letter to you. You're listening to the gospel, and you're walking because it is good news. You can listen to it over and over and over and over because it needs to sit in you. You need to sit in it. It is unhurried in our culture where it's so fast. In 1945, there was a man named Percy Spencer. He was a self-taught engineer. And one day he was working with some radar and he had a candy bar in his pocket. And he noticed that the candy bar was melting. And he was like, but I'm in a controlled environment. Why is my candy bar melting, right? He realized that he had stumbled upon an invention, what we now call the microwave. 
the microwave has changed our kitchens, it changed our cooking, it changes our meals. 90% of Americans, they say, I don't know what the other 10% are doing. (laughs) 90% of Americans have a microwave in their home. I just remember we used to not have a microwave for a while there. (laughs) But the microwave did more than just change our kitchens. Stay with me. It did more than change our our cooking. It changed the way we live. We didn't anticipate this, but it became, it changed our patience levels. It brought what we, what I call now is microwave thinking, right? It shortened our patience, right? As we applied microwave thinking to all aspects, aspects of our life, we began to want things faster, quicker, Our education must be quicker. Our growth must be quicker. Our relationships have to be quicker. Our development has to be quicker. We want microwave progression. You see it in all of us. But we take that application, we take that microwave thinking, and we apply it to our spiritual development. Folks, you can't speed it along. You can't get the cliff notes to the Bible and grow. It takes time. It takes effort. Any relationship does. I'm happy now that our society has begun to push back on microwave thinking. You know, there is a slow food movement, right? Our spiritual development and maturity is one place where we cannot apply microwave thinking to achieve lasting, life-changing results. In the Christian life, slowing down actually emphasizes growth. Living this way, slowing down for loving union with God, is countercultural, but is essential to our spiritual formation. There's no way you can half do it. When I was in high school, first year, I wanted to play this sport called football. I knew football, but I didn't know this football. So I signed up. And the coach said, well, we got to meet us in the weight room, you know. Okay. I've never been in the weight room. I get in there and I see people, you know, bench pressing. So I see a kid that's in my grade, that's my age, and he's on the bench and he's doing, if, if you're a weightlifter, you know this, he's doing 135, right, one bar, and he's, he's repping them out. So I said, well, if he's my age and he's in my grade, I can do that. I got on that bench. <laughs> Evidently, it was too much weight <laughs> because that thing just went. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that we cannot compare our journeys with people who, are, who, are, who have been doing it a while. In, in, in the book of Colossians, these are new Christians that Paul's talking to. These are first-time weightlifters, if you will. And he's giving them kind of the basics of Christianity. He said, man, you have to let the Word of God dwell in you richly so that you're able to teach each other, you're able to admonish each other, you're able to encourage one another, right? You, we, we, we've all got to start somewhere. Your pride is one of the things that, that, that God deals with first when, when, when you become a Christian. It's like, man, but I see this person able to pray. I see this person, they're able to post. I'm sitting in this Bible study, and everybody seems to have it together but me. And that's Okay because you don't know what their journey has been, right? The comparison we like to do, oh, that person's moving at a faster pace. I got to catch up. Your development is very different than theirs. 
Growth in our Christian walk requires slow, intentional, relational com commitment. Letting the Word sink in us. We run into trouble when we try to hurry it up and move it to the next stage. Sadly, I, 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 I will say this. Uh, we have church leaders who have catapulted themselves to high levels of, of, of leadership, right, without letting the Word of God dwell in them richly. And we know the outcomes of that are not pretty. It's not a week that goes by that you don't hear about another church leader who has fallen, who had burned out, flamed out, or crashed out. It takes a slow, disciplined walk with God. You are not, you are not comparing yourself to anyone. To use economics, the Word of God, our Christian growth, is not a fixed pie, if that makes sense. Let me explain it this way. This is my best economics. Oh, my professor is probably not going to be proud, right? If you see a pizza, just because Shanae takes one slice out of there doesn't mean I, you can't have that slice. That's not how the gospel works. It's what economics people call ever, it's an ever-expanding pie. Just because someone gets an A in the class doesn't mean you don't get an A. We're not fighting for A's. Your discipline, your relationship with Christ is very different than anyone else's. In his great, highly recommended book, I would like to recommend it to you, even if you're not a leader, is a book by Pete Scazzaro called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. In chapter four of that book, he talks about slowing down for loving union with God as part of our formation as Christians. There's a theologian, we'll just call him Hans. Can you throw it up there? <laughs> we'll just call him Hans because I can't pronounce the full name. Writes this about Jesus. He says, here is a man sinless because he has lovingly allowed the Father's will to have full scope in his life. I forgot to put that one in there. My bad. <laughs> My thank you. This theologian is talking about Jesus. In a sense, he, he, he's, he's talking about us. He said, is there a place when you have allowed in your life God to have full access? Because when you read the Word of God and it becomes a part of you, something has, things come out. It puts a mirror up to your face to say, this is what you really look like. And here's where you need to be. Have you allowed God the full scope of your life? Have you opened up and let the Word of God change your life? This is where we tend to struggle. We want to kind of do it alone, away from everybody else. One another is a great word in the New Testament. If you were to do a study, we did it, we did it a few months ago. Find the one another's. Be in community with other people that can encourage you. A great African proverb says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Jesus Christ is the one who empowers us. Verse 17 says this. He says, this is so good. Whenever I see words like this in the, in the Bible, I just I, I circle and underline. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
Paul closes this section of chapter 3 by saying, by offering some encouragement. He said, whatever you do, do everything in the name of Jesus, everything you do. If you spend time with the Lord, you will know his will. You can be a representation of Jesus in the spaces that you go into when, you dwell, when the word of God dwells richly in you, when it remains in you. The one another's, when you're sitting in community and studying, when you're studying the Bible with someone, I hope everyone in this room has someone who isn't surprised by their sin. Who isn't surprised when you're caught in a lie, maybe on your resume, when your pride causes you to make poor decisions, there's some another, there's a person in there, or one another in there, a person in your life that says, man, you have sinned. I'm going to call you out on this, but I'm going to show you the gospel of Jesus Christ and give you grace as well. They, they, they admonish you, but they, they, they speak the gospel and grace and love to you. When you spend time with people like that, you, you, your life is different. It's, it's bubbling with joy because you can live free. You can live open. You don't have to hide anything. People know who you are. When you spend time in the Word of God and, you, and it builds up your walk in Christ, it comes out of you. You're able to ask questions to the point where, where, where people, people say, oh, man, that person has something. You're able to remind others in good times about Jesus, in tough times about the good news. The opposite happens, by the way, and I see that sometimes, and it's sad. People who are Christians will give each other advice, but the advice is not wisdom. Follow your heart. Do what you think is right. you got to look out for you is one of my favorites, one to not like. <laughs> because the advice you're giving comes out of your worldly experience, and not from the, 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 the Bible, not from, not from being dwelled deeply in it. You don't have anything in your cup, and you want to give something to your friend, but your cup is empty. So you're grasping, you're pulling, right? Instead of having a full cup that, that, runs, that runs over to other people in your life, you speak of what is in you. If you're filled with the gospel, that's what comes out. If you're filled with other stuff, that's going to come out too. One commentator says this, the center of the Christian life is the gospel. We are in Christ. We are secure. We have been redeemed. And whatever we do, we do in the name of Jesus Christ. You have been redeemed. Like, you don't have to. You don't have to. Your pride cannot get in the way of, oh, man, I got to do this because I'm trying to get somewhere. Oh, I need to save face in this way. Whether you're in manual labor or political activity or raising a family, you can rest assured that you have been reconciled and you are secure and your eternal destiny is secure so you don't have to prove nothing to nobody. All we do, we ought to do in the name of Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace that surpasses all understanding. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray there is a seed planted in someone's heart and your word will reawaken and they will chase after you. They will read your words as a love letter. They will read your word as a relationship with you. They will pursue a deeper relationship with you, O oh Lord. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that you, we have been awakened to your peace as we mature as Christians. May we let the word of God dwell richly in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.